Hello everyone, I'm Paris Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership with Tom Fox, hosted by Richard Lummis. Hello, and welcome to another episode of 12 O'Clock High, a podcast about leadership. This is Richard Lummis. I'm here with Tom Fox for another discussion on how to improve our leadership skills. We believe leadership is a skill which can be improved with study of both good and bad practices, and we try to draw interesting examples from many sources, including history, fiction, film, and business writing. Welcome back, Tom. Thank you, Richard. Today we're going to look at an interesting example from the world of sports that relates to issues of compliance as well as employee evaluations. After going to the World Series in 2005, before being swept by the Chicago White Sox, The Houston Astros were, by 2010, one of the, if not the, worst team in baseball by many measures, including the strength of their farm system. More than once, they got 0.0 Nielsen ratings on television. As a side note, their salaries were so low that they were still profitable. But by 2001, they had a new owner, Jim Crane, who had some ideas about how to fix the performance issues. In June 2014, Ben Ryder wrote an article in Sports Illustrated titled Houston's Grand Experiment that predicted the Astros would be world champions in 2017. Although widely ridiculed at the time, it proved accurate in many respects. It's now been turned into a book, Astro Ball, The New Way to Win It All. Tom, what lessons can we learn from this startling turnaround and how can we apply some of those lessons outside of baseball? Well, Richard, uh, thank you. Uh, great to be back. Um, I think we have to give uh, some context to this. Um, we have both been Astros fans for 55 years plus, and uh, I certainly uh, never thought I would live to see the Astros win the World Series. Um, so that uh, I think we have to acknowledge that. And we are the current uh, reigning World Series champs, and I'm enjoying every day of that right now. Whether that will last, we will perhaps speculate later. But the, um, the book itself uh, detailed um, the Astros' technology strategy. And they used uh, technology they built upon uh, what Billy Bean had done in Oakland. And uh, it's reported in uh, Michael Lewis's book, Moneyball. But they took it really to a different level. And there were um, three major components of how they used technology. The first was in player evaluation. And here, um, they I wouldn't say they revolutionized, but what they did was try to take uh, the emotional part out of making a decision on players and quantifying as many factors as possible. Uh, Daryl Morley, the uh, general manager of the um, Houston Rockets, was quoted in uh, Moneyball on how difficult that is uh, simply because at some point you always have to interview a prospective candidate. And uh, he found that um, it, there were many of them that he just liked so much. And he gave the example of the big man. He said he'd never met a big man he didn't like uh, in the interview process because uh, they, they had grown up uh, as a very unique person. And uh, much like the chubby kid in the playground, uh, they learned, taught people how to laugh, or they learned how to teach people. Uh, they learned how to make people laugh, and that's how they got along. And so, the, what the Astros did was uh, really utilize data around player evaluation. Um, this effort was not wholly successful, uh, but I, uh, the, the thing that really 
struck me in the book was that how uh, Lunau, Jeff Lunau, the general manager, and his number one, Sig Meidel, who really wasn't rocket scientist, he worked at NASA, uh, before he went into baseball, they really utilized the human element. They uh, relied heavily on their scouts to uh, view uh, the metrics they were measuring of many of these prospects. And they, they did require the scouts to, to follow a, a precise form analysis, but they still allow the scouts to uh, express their opinions within the context of the metrics they were measuring. And I thought that was a really important point uh, that they did not, and, and it's a really important point for leaders going forward because with every technology, every technology, every technological advance, uh, every use of AI, uh, to think that that should or even can replace the human element, I think uh, really is not correct. And that when you couple the two together, that's when you have real power. And, Tom, I think one of the things about Moneyball that struck me was it was it pretty much ignored some of these soft factors you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And um, the things the scouts are expected to do, in addition to using uh, computer and video analysis for swing and pitching mechanics, is things like character and family background, yes. which I thought was very interesting. Yes. Uh, unfortunately, the movie really emphasized uh, the um, dynamic tension between traditional scouting methods and metrics. In the book, it was um, really not the, the level of tension and conflict that was portrayed in the movies, but you're absolutely right. And from Astro Ball, the example uh, most prominent was Carlos Correa. And he uh, was Puerto Rican, he is Puerto Rican, and they did extensive background research into his character, his parents, how he'd been brought up, uh, the, the reasons he was so driven. Um, and, and I'm going to get to Alex Bregman in a minute. Uh, because uh, uh, the character issue, uh, I think, it really is, shows a great example with Bregman. Having said that, on the player evaluations, uh, there's three key points I want to uh, emphasize for our podcast listeners. There, the baseball, Major League Baseball draft inaugurated in 1965. Since that time, there have been four players drafted who did not reach the majors. Two of those were drafted by the Astros. You mean drafted first in the first drafted, round? Drafted number one. Yeah. Four players. Two of those were the Astros <laughs> in uh, 2013 and 2014. So, so much for that. Well, and one of those was the example that Ryder used in his article at the time of yeah. how great the system was. Right. And he not he never signed with the Astros, actually, but he's, he's also never played in the majors. That, that's correct. <clears throat> and the second is uh, <clears throat> J.A. Martinez. And Jay Martinez uh, is now uh, one of the top three hitters in baseball, and he was um, unmercilessly cut by the Astros in 2014. Uh, he had he on his own had de- delved into uh, metrics around uh, baseball mechanics, and particularly his swing mechanics, and had um, relearned his swing. And he came to training camp. Uh, spring training and wanted to show off that swing at least enough to make the team. And the uh, um, manager at the time, uh, he had fallen out of favor with the manager, and over six weeks he got 18 at-bats. And he was cut uh, simply because they didn't they didn't have a place for him. They didn't know what he could do. 
And uh, it was pretty clear in the book that that was a very uh, big driving force when the next day he happened to actually play against the Astros uh, with a team. He had picked him up and he hit a home run uh, in, his, in his first at bat. And when he flipped the bat, it ended, landed a little close to the Astro dugout, apparently. I'm sure that was by accident. But now he plays for the Boston Red Sox and he's their top hitter. Um, so uh, this is not a perfect system. It's still an evaluation. There's still a human element. Obviously, that's if you look at any football draft. But here, um, I just want to emphasize. But the thing that I got from this component of what the Astros did, it really was not so much the number one players that they used this talent evaluation tool on. It was it was uh, uh, because I think those are going to be pretty close to self-evident. And as you correctly know, uh, I've always felt it's still a crapshoot. Um, well, Medjidol's background was in blackjack dealings. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, they really were able to fill out their roster with, um, with these players. And that gets me to uh, Alex Bregman, who's a third baseman. I'll get to um, a little bit later for another uh, story or another reason. He um, had, was uh, short, viewed as too small, too small to play high school, too small to play college, certainly too small to play pro. And uh, he, like many people of that, of slow, uh, low stature or uh, low height in professional sports, he internalized that. And uh, he, <clears throat> he has made, um, um, made a career out of showing people and internalizing that anger and using it, ter- uh, turning it into a creative, positive force. And that was actually picked up by the Astro Scouts. To their credit, and that Lunau, uh, I thought I think accurately uh, assess that as a as a true plus for Bregman, and I think it's been true throughout uh, his short career with the Astros, but uh, a significant part of the World Series winning team. So that was sort of talent evaluation. Part two of how they used analytics was through player development, and this is the part that I think uh, truly was innovative and. Um, in the book, um, writer uh, quoted a rival general manager who said, I think they've unlocked a lot of things on the hitting side and are more advanced in that area than anyone else. And uh, they have determined launch angles, they've determined bat speed, and they have retrained players uh, for more efficient mechanics. But what, they, what was made clear in the book was that the player had to be open and willing to this. And that there's some players who were not, and those players um, are not with the team uh, anymore. But it doesn't stop it hitting. And here I have to point to two pitchers. Uh, the first is Dallas Keuchel, um, who was a, a perhaps above average pitcher, um, but uh, it won a Cy Young his second year with the Astros, and is uh, number two starter now uh, on the team. Uh, and uh, but the the one that uh, you cannot really start stop talking enough about is Charlie Morton. And his development is nothing short of phenomenal. He came to the Astros as a 33-year-old journeyman with a 46-71 and 71 record with an ERA over four. Uh, that was in 2015. In 2016, he dropped uh, or improved his record to 14-7, um, excuse me, 2017, with an ERA of 362. And uh, to uh, the date of this podcast, he's 11-2, with a uh, 296 ERA. Here was the correction or the change they made. They determined that 
Morton had three pitches, a curveball, a mid-90s fastball, and a sinker. And the Astros felt he was not throwing his curveball enough. So they um, upped the number of times he threw the curveball. That's it. (laughs) And uh, that simple adjustment. Now, obviously, he had to be willing. But there was actually a time earlier this year where uh, one player um, from, I believe, the Cleveland Indians said that uh, Morton had to be cheating. No one can improve like that. Yeah. I would, I would challenge any listener to point to one pitcher who has improved that dramatically at age 33 without the help of uh, steroids, yeah. and I don't think you can. Uh, so that kind of player development really is nothing short of, of uh, phenomenal. How much of Altuve's improvement do you think is a function of the Astros tinkering with his swing mechanics? So that, that's a great question. Uh, last year's MVP, Jose Altuve, Altuve, a Venezuelan, five foot six, came up as a, a pretty decent slap hitter. Um, he now routinely hits at 350, uh, has over 200 hits the last uh, three seasons, has 20 uh, home runs, has won three batting championships. Uh, I think it's really. Uh, Part is the mechanical ability or it's mechanical changes. Part is uh, Altuve's drive. He is a driven, driven individual. Uh, five foot six, maybe that's small strike zone. Small strike zone, uh, but lots of power and um, is a true clubhouse leader. Um, and the the third part is um, kind of into the future. Um, here, uh, I think the Astros recognize. Uh, that, that not only are they uh, leading kind of uh, leading innovator in this, but they're trying to use technology to help change the future uh, with both of these tools going forward. And that is um, going to be, uh, it's not so much an open question, but I think something that we're going to have to follow to see what they can do. But there's a couple of other points I would like to raise uh, with you, Richard, that I think are important for leadership. And the first one is around Alex Bregman. I was very disappointed in the book because it told a story about Bregman, and it was in uh, Game Six of the uh, National League, or excuse me, American League Championship uh, playoff against New York. And uh, the Astros were up a run, and uh, New York had runners on first and third, I think, with one out, uh, and a uh, ground ball was hit to Bregman, and he came home. And he cut the uh, the New York runner down. And um, in the book, it said that Sig Meidel, who was in the uh, stands, actually calculated the odds of making that out at home plate as uh, less than 20%, whereas he had a, above a 99% chance going to first base. Uh, Ryder, the book author, Ben Ryder, attributed that to um, basically Bregman's screw it attitude uh, although he didn't use the word screw it. Uh, but this is a PG podcast, so, uh, 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 and coming home. But that's actually not the story. Because the story is that the last week of the season, uh, uh, <clears throat> Bregman found himself in the same situation. And he took the uh, ball and, and took it to first for the safe out. And after the end of the inning in the dugout, <clears throat> manager A.J. Hinch uh, took him aside and said to him, there'll be a time in the playoffs when you'll have that choice. And in the playoffs, the uh, runs uh, magnify themselves. 
And so you're, you'll need to take that play home. And, what I, and, and that's why he did. It wasn't because of his screw-it attitude. It's because the manager had said, and, and this has really uh, struck me as a, as a true risk management strategy, an uh, increased risk, your increased reward uh, was, could either be so great or the risk of scoring because of the heightened atmosphere of the playoffs was so great, you had to make the, the attempt to cut the runner down at home. So that I thought it was really a risk management strategy because it showed the flexibility of risk, how risk can change in a baseball game from one week to another when that week is ending the season or in the playoffs, and then how the play you make uh, in the field uh, is really determined by that risk management strategy. So I was really uh, impacted by that. Well, uh, I think Hinch was correct, too, because that was really a pivotal play in terms of the psychology of the series. So let me describe this, and then once again, since we're on a podcast, uh, the this is how close it was, and I've watched this multiple times. <laughs> the Yankee player, whose name I can't remember, he came down from third base on the ground ball, and he slid uh, in to the plate, and he he could clearly see that a play was going to occur. He could clearly see the catcher Brian McCann was going to make a sweep tag on him. And so what he did was, when he slid with his lead leg, he kept the leg up so that it was not on the ground. And he actually slid over the plate with his leg over the plate. And as McCann caught the ball and came up, he caught his leg before it touched. If he had come down, slid with the foot down in the dirt, he would have hit the plate before the throw got him out. So uh, it was a pretty... That's why it was a 20% play. <laughs> That's why it was 20% at best. So um, um, at any rate, uh, obviously uh, something we have thought about, watched, and participated in quite a bit. But uh, the book is a great read. It's an easy read. I thought a lot of uh, very insightful uh, things from uh, not only talent evaluation, uh, talent management, talent development, uh, risk management, uh, leadership um, as a uh, probably a freebie we ought to just throw in. When you leave a job and go to a next job, please change your password on your computer. That was part of the, there was a theft of intellectual property because uh, the Astros used this, uh, didn't change their passwords when the they went to uh, that Lunau had been with the Cardinals, and so they had his old password and just used that on his new password to steal some stuff. That was a story in the book. So um, pretty um, interesting uh, all the way around. One of the other things that struck me was the uh, despite the uh, despite the fact that the the writer seems to like gambling as a metaphor for what they were doing, specifically the use of percentages. Um, what really struck me was the the importance of the discipline um, here. When they when they picked Brady Aiken as the first pick in the first round of the draft, um, they were gambling a lot. Well, eventually they couldn't agree on his uh, signing bonus, and that's why he never signed with the Astros, which to me, they'd put all this investment into selecting him in the first place, but they still had a very strong opinion of what his actual value to the team was monetarily. And they weren't willing to, to, to break it. So with Brady Aiken, it was colored by another factor. 
And that was, uh, apparently, I didn't realize this until I read this book, but in Major League Baseball, you get bare minimum medical records of draftees. Uh And when they got Brady Aiken's medical records, it showed that uh, the ulnar something. Anyway, the the one around the elbow that uh, is involved in Tommy John surgery, it was not injured or damaged, but it was uh, half the size of someone his size. And so they were afraid that he would uh, blow it out, which is exactly what happened to him in the minors, which is why he didn't make the uh, um, majors. And then you overlay that with, uh, in the draft now, you're allotted a certain amount of money, and everybody gets what's called slot money. And if you can save on your top draft pick, that gives you more money for lower draft picks. And so the Astros had lined up two... um, um, prospects or one very high prospect in addition to Aiken and they were going to pay him based on a reduced price for Aiken that um, uh, but after they found out this medical condition they thought it was so severe they offered him uh, they I think they offered him half of what they had told him they were going to offer him and he said you know bleep you uh, I'm not signing with you um, but here's what they did to salvage that situation um, there's yet another rule that if you offer some percentage, I think it's 50% of your original offer, turns out to be your final offer, you get a compensatory pick. And so that's what they made. And to to you and or certainly to me at the time, it looked like they were lowballing a kid for no reason. Uh, and the Astros were not releasing information about the medical condition they found, whether because of HIPAA, Major League Baseball, or some other reason. Nevertheless... We didn't know about the medical condition. But by making the offer they did, they got a compensatory uh, pick the next year in the first round. And they were able to use that uh, quite successfully. So, um, so know the rules. So know the rules. So uh, which which um, maybe we can get to in another podcast. But uh, really, I just saw a, a chock full of these kinds of lessons that I think are really important uh, for uh, any business leader. Uh, but the key use of... Um, Data analytics coupled with uh, human element, I think, was the biggest takeaway uh, that I got from this book. Well, I think it's uh, it's a great lesson, and um, it, it does show the importance, I think, of, of a balanced approach. Um, you have all these scouts who spend years learning this stuff, and I think there are still some intangibles. Um, but as you pointed out with... Uh, with Charlie Morton, sometimes it's just a statistical play. <laughs> anyway, for now, this is 12 O'Clock High with Tom Fox and Richard Lummis, and we hope you've enjoyed this, and listen next time. This is Paris Fox again. We hope you enjoyed this episode of 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership with Tom Fox. If you enjoyed the show, please go to iTunes and rate the podcast. Thank you for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.